It is a great joy to have with us again Evangelist Dave Young. God has used him now for 20, over 23 years in full-time evangelism. And I appreciate his call of, uh, to true life in Christ all across this country and literally in some key places around the world. Uh, he's uh, been, uh, been through many open doors and it's uh, very exciting to see what God is doing. I appreciate so much the ministry he's had with this, us for now a number of years. I don't know how many years it is since the first time that he was here and has always been a blessing. I want to encourage you now, this is a dear servant of the Lord. Let's open our hearts and let's let God speak to us here tonight. Thank you, Pastor. Well, hello, church. It's good to be with you tonight, and uh, I'm uh, glad to be here. I've been praying for you all, and I'm so delighted that I get to spend these few days with you. Uh, Dr. Flanders emailed me, I guess it was day before yesterday, and he said, Hey, Dave, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you in Menominee Falls. And he said, I'm looking forward to hearing you preach. And I thought, wow, he must have not heard much preaching at all lately, <laughs> poor guy. And then he said, uh, he said, you know, he said, we got to pray, he said, because even our friends at Falls Baptist need revival. You know, and I thought, well, Lord, that's true, isn't it? Because we all do, don't we? And so God bless you for being here tonight. I, uh, I'm, I'm not all here because uh, my wife's not here. And I'm sorry she's not. I don't know how many times uh, I've been here. It's harder to get here when we come without the RV. But my wife is not here, and she's home with four of our children. My daughter's Abigail's with me this week. I... I uh, bit the bullet and flew her up with me just because I, uh, she's in college now, I don't get to see her as often, and I wanted to spend some time with my daughter. So uh, she's here, and I'm glad she is. Hope you get to meet her throughout the week. I'm a very blessed man. I get to, get to, get to travel, get to preach, get to meet people like you, and I sure appreciate your church. I pray for you all as often as I can. I try to every Sunday morning. I don't always make it, but I try to, and there's several of you here in the building that I, I try to pray for every day. And I'm just so thrilled that I get to be here and to share in these few days. I was thinking on my way here, you know, Lord, I, I need some preaching. So I, I couldn't think of a better guy I'd want to hear preach than Dr. Flanders. And so uh, I, uh, I feel like I just get to be here kind of to have fun and, and he's going to carry the work. So uh, I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm looking forward to it. It's good to be with Dr. Van Geldern again. And for the record, uh, I'm glad it's warm in here because I am cold. Uh, it is cold. I was in Miami last week. Yesterday morning, I left Miami. It was 77 degrees. And uh, we had a revival service the other night. And it was, they got up and they said, uh, you know, they said to church, we don't get to do things like this often, but because it's so cold outside after service tonight, we're going to have hot chocolate. And, uh, and so we did. It was 61 degrees. And... Uh, <laughs> We, uh, we had hot chocolate and celebrated, I guess. I don't know. I mean, how do you figure that? And then uh, somebody just told me it's one degrees outside. What in the world? Uh, this has got to be the result of the fall, don't you think? It's just got to be. This cold is not of the Lord. But my goodness, uh, I'm, uh, I'm so glad that you are up here and that you get to enjoy it in this great. This is my, I, I don't mind this at all because I'm leaving Wednesday. Uh, this, uh, this doesn't bother me in the least bit. This is just great, but it is cold, and thank you for being here tonight. Take your Bible. Let's go tonight to 1 John chapter 1. Could we do that, please? 1 John chapter 1. Uh, I have uh, been praying for several days, seeking the mind of the Lord for your conference and for my few days with you, and I confess to you this passage was not even on my radar. I've been doing several 
meditations through a couple of passages, and this was not part of it. And uh, yet, uh, actually yesterday, yesterday morning, in some time of prayer, this passage the Lord kept putting on my heart, so I'm, I'm going to preach what I think he wants me to preach tonight. And I'm going to read the entire chapter. It's only 10 verses, so it's an easy chapter and a familiar chapter. You all know this chapter, don't you? First John chapter 1. Let's begin in verse 1. As soon as you found it there, put your finger on it. We'll read 10 verses together. In fact, uh, why don't I pray first? Would that be okay? Let me pray and then I'll read my text and I'll go right into the message. Father, Lord, you know the busyness of my day. And I don't often fly on a Sunday and yet I I needed to, Lord. And and so the day's been busier than Sundays often are. And yet, Lord, I've sensed your presence today. What a privilege to serve you to walk with you and to know you, and just to be a recipient of your blessings. Lord, I'm so thankful that I, I get to do what I do. Lord, I loved Miami. We had a great meeting there. Thank you for those who were saved and the friends we made there. And Lord, I love Menominee Falls and the folks in this church. And it's just a privilege to serve you, Lord. And God, I just want to stop here before I read your word tonight and, and tell you how much I love you. And, and Lord, I want to ask you tonight to fill me with your power. I want to preach well, Lord. I really do. But more than that, I want your presence. And uh, Lord, uh, if, uh, if you're not here, then this, is, this really is not any value at all. We know that. So Lord, could I ask you tonight to, to in an unusual way, bless your word as I read it. Bless your word as I preach it. And in a special way tonight, just manifest your reviving presence in this service tonight. Lord, we've already sensed your spirit uh, from the opening song tonight to just a moment ago singing together, Pass Me Not. Our hearts have been touched and stirred and strengthened. And now pour out your spirit and move in the midst of us tonight and help, help in a special way that this will be a special service. And I ask these things tonight. In the name of my Savior, Jesus, amen. First John chapter 1, verses 1 through 10, your Bible says these words. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, We make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, you're familiar with these verses, aren't you? How long ago was it that you memorized 1 John 1, 9? I feel like I've known it my whole life, don't you? Since most of you know it, let's say it. If you don't know it, you can read it. Let's do 1 John 1, 9 together, everybody. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, isn't that a glorious verse? That's a revival verse, no doubt about it. And so let me take that one little word, confess tonight, and preach tonight. Uh, if uh, Let me preach tonight the wonderful blessing of confession. The wonderful blessing of confession. Now, have you ever considered that so much of the New Testament is revival-oriented? Have you ever considered that? The New Testament is full of statements like this, this is wrong, let's make it right. You're, you're familiar with that, aren't you? There's a lot of statements. This needs correcting, let's correct it. This needs strengthening, let's strengthen it. This here needs to be changed, let's change it. This ought to be added, so let's add it. This shouldn't be there, let's remove it. That's revival terminology. It's all over the New Testament. This little book is exactly like that. I suppose the first chapter could be divided into three, three sections or three words maybe. In my thinking, I thought of the word reasoning, the word relationship, and the word revival. There is something reasonable here, isn't it? Uh, in those first uh, two or three verses, it's amazing how he says, look, uh, this is something I've heard and something I've seen and something I've looked upon and something my hands have handled of the word of life. You get the idea that he's trying to be reasonable. I'm not just making up something religious, John is saying to us. I saw Jesus. I heard him. I know him. This is real. Now, you all believe that, don't you? You believe that our relationship with Jesus is real, don't you? We're not just here going to church tonight, are we? I mean, we're not just a religious assembly that does religious things. No, our God is the living God. His name is Jesus Christ. He is alive. He's real. And I know him. Are you that way? So John says, this is reasonable. Uh, he said, I've heard it. I've seen it. I've examined it. I've handled it. Then there's relationship. There's relationship. Do you see the word uh, fellowship in our text? That's relationship, isn't it? If, in verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him, do you have fellowship with Jesus? Do you know him like that? That's relationship. Is he real in your life? Do you have fellowship with him? Do you walk with him? Do you know him? I'm not talking about salvation. This is about the church. This is about those of us who are saved, which is most of us, isn't it? Don't we know Jesus? Do you have fellowship with him? That's what he talks about here. And he uses the word joy and the word light. Do you have joy in your life? Are you saved and walking with Jesus and there's joy in your life? Do you know the joy of the Lord? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Do you have joy in your life? Even when it's one degrees outside, do you have joy in your life? Circumstances come and go, don't they? Busyness happens. Life seems to pass so fast these days. Are you all that way? Yet do you have joy you have joy in your work and your responsibility because you're walking with Jesus. Fellowship, joy, light. That's relationship. And then the word revival. And what John says to us here is things like this. We all fail. Then he seemed to say that in the text. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So I suppose tonight that you might as well get ready. We've all got to respond. Right? When I give the invitation tonight, I expect you to respond. Because the Bible says, if we, can, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Here's a good question tonight. If that verse is true, what's yours? 
If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So what is it in your life that's not right up to par, that yet needs to be worked on, that yet needs to be added, that yet needs to be altered, where there's a change that yet needs to be made, where there's some correction that needs to occur? He says here, don't say, don't say you have no sin because you'll deceive yourself. And then he adds that wonderful verse we just quoted. If, I like that word, don't you? It's conditional. If you do it, he will. If you do it, he will. If we confess our sins, he is what? I like that word. He's faithful and just. I like that word. He, if we confess it, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, that's a glorious verse. And there's a lot of preaching you could do on it. And I've often thought of it in simple terms like this. When I go to God and I examine my life and God puts his finger on an area of my life. Have you ever gone to God and prayed like that and said, Lord, what is, uh, what is another area where I could grow this year? Is there another area where I could change or something I've overlooked or an area that I haven't yet thought of or an area where I've been careless? You ever gone to God like that? If you have, you know what you'll discover? He'll probably put his finger on an area of your life you haven't thought about yet. I know, I guess probably a year ago, a year and a half ago, I spent some time with the Lord. You know, I was busy and life's running and our ministry's going and we're up in the early and up and late and... And there's always stuff to do. And I took a day or so and just paused and spent some time with the Lord and said, now, Lord, I feel like our ministry's going well and I feel like my family's doing well and our marriage is great. And, and yet I want to make sure I'm right with you. I want, I want to know more of you and, and grow more. And so I said to the Holy Spirit, I said, now, Holy Spirit, what's an area where I need to be more like Jesus? Where's an area where there's a failure, where, where I, there's a struggle that's not pleasing to God in the way it should be? If you'll show it to me, I'll get in your word and I'll memorize verses and I'll make it right and I'll grow in that area if you'll help me. And you know what's amazing? Every time I've done that, he seems to know an area. Are y'all that way? Every time, every time, every single time I go to the Lord and I say, what, show me an area. He seems to know one about me. And he put his finger on an area of my life. And I was embarrassed. I, I was embarrassed when he did. I thought, what's wrong with me? I don't know better than that. The Holy Spirit of God said, you know what? You're so busy that uh, you, you, you tend to get impatient with your children. Especially your boys. You get impatient and you can be harsh with your sons. Man, I, I thought I am. And I got to thinking about it. And so I went, okay, Lord, if that's something I need to work on, I got some verses about the tongue, about the spirit, about being gracious and kind and thoughtful and not being irritated. I started memorizing some verses and I don't know, maybe a couple of weeks later, I was standing in my garage. My son was in there and you know how teenagers are. How many of you have teenagers? Any of you have teenagers? I don't know, but I read somewhere that teenagers, you should be easy on them because their brains aren't fully developed yet. Now teens, I don't know if that's true or not, but I did read it. And I thought, maybe that's true. Who knows? And so uh, my teenager, my son, he's in the garage and he's, he's hysterical. He's, he's my funny kid. That, that kid makes me laugh all the time. I don't need a television. I got Matthew. <laughs> if I want entertainment, I just hang around him. He's entertaining. The kid is. He's just funny. And the other night he came in and I got no, I said the other night, time rolls on. It's probably been several months ago. He came down the hallway one night and put his hands on my face like this and lean. He's six foot two now. He's proud of the fact that he's taller than I am. 
And he brought me over, put his hands on my face, brought me over, kissed me on top of the head. <laughs> and uh, brought me down, kissed me on top of the head, and he said, good night, Father. <laughs> Sleep well. Most likely I will still love you in the morning. <laughs> and I thought, where did I get this kid of mine? He's our funny kid. He's always doing something to make me laugh. And he came into my garage. I was working on something, and, and I was home for a few days, and he walked in, and I asked him to do something. Have you ever asked your son to do something and he didn't get it? And I was busy. I mean, I got work to do. I got stuff to do, and I need to get this done, and you can help me. And I said, do this, son. And, and uh, he kind of, you know, stood there, and, and you know, and he, I, I, well, well, I, you know, and just, I, I don't know exactly what happened, but I got irritated. So I let him have it. I said, you know, son, for crying out loud, you're 15 now. It's time to pick it up. What in the world's wrong with you? You know, you got to think. You just got to pick it up and think, you know. You, you know, just figure it out on your own and get her done, okay? He wasn't rebellious. He didn't react in anger, but I could tell immediately I hurt his feeling. He dropped his head and very quietly walked out of the garage. And the moment he did, the Holy Spirit of God said to me, that's what I'm talking about. It's not like Jesus, is it? You tell everybody else to walk in the Spirit and do what's right, you talk to your son like that? The Holy Spirit of God said, aren't you glad Jesus doesn't treat you that way? So I, I bowed my head in the garage and I said to, to God, I'm sorry. You're right. You're right, Lord. In those verses I've been memorizing, I'm wrong. And I need to be right with you. And you've got to cleanse me. You've got to fill me. And you've got to grow me. And then I called in my son. And I said, man, I need to talk to you, son. So what your dad just said to you was wrong. You sit in services and hear your dad preach that that's wrong. And I stood here in the garage and I said that to you and treated you that way and, and, and didn't treat you with respect. You're a fine young man and you're growing. I know you got growing to do, but you're a fine young man and you show me respect and you try to do what's right. And I treated you that way and I just want you to know I'm working on it and I want you to forgive me so I can be right with God. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what confession's all about. Making things right with God, making things right with others. You ever read James chapter 5? Where the Bible says, confess your faults one to another. When's the last time you had just an old-fashioned, I'm going to get right with God in whatever area shows me about, I'm going to confess my sin and do what's right. It's hard, isn't it? You know why? Because of pride. How many of you ever battled pride? Are you that way? Do you ever feel like, you know what, I'm doing good. I go to Falls Baptist Church. I'm doing good. I wear, I, I, I wear a tie and coat and carry my Bible and, and go to church on Sunday night, even if it's one degrees outside. Because I am a man of God. Right? And yet you and I battle with such pride. We do, we do. I was thinking about that pride and how hard it is to make things right. And I thought, only by pride comes what? Contention, your Bible says. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. One of the reasons getting things right in our life is so hard is because pride gets in the way and it's hard to humble ourselves. It wasn't easy for me to bow before God and say, Lord, 
I failed right there with my son. I blew it, Lord. I, I got impatient, irritated. I wasn't helping him. I wasn't discipling, wasn't mentoring. I didn't, I didn't even correct him. I just ripped on him. I just let him have it. And I'm ashamed of that, and I'm sorry. That's confession. I had to make it right with him. That's confession. It's, 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 it's hard. It's hard. Uh, it's also blessed, isn't it? There's just something special. I, I talk to my son. I, I go to God and I said, Lord, I blew it. I'm sorry I said that to my son. I need to be better about my tongue. I, I don't know why I get so irritated and impatient. Lord, you've got to help me with that. And, and honestly, honestly, I, I, the Holy Spirit, aren't you thankful for the dear Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit, he just assured me, gave me that assurance by faith. I'll help you. I knew his voice. I'll help you. If you keep working on those verses, I'll help you. I'll turn you into a different man. I go to my son. I said, he said, I'm sorry. You got to forgive me. And uh, my son, he listened and, and he was stoic. You know, he's stoic. He just looked at me. And you know, when people do that to me, I tend to say more. You know, are you all that way? I mean, you know, it made me nervous. The guy's just looking at me and I'm like, you know, give me some assurance here for crying out loud. Smile at me, do something, and finally I ran out of words. I know that's hard to imagine, but I did. And I ran out of words. I don't have anything else to say, and I just looked at him. Will you forgive me? And I looked at him, and he says, uh, oh, Dad, it's okay. I love you. Now everything's well again. Confession always results in blessings, peace and joy and favor and growth growth. Confession is essential in our relationship to God. Three things I want to teach you tonight. In the first place, I want you to look at verse 9 and consider with me that confession is essential for a believer who wants to experience revival. Confession is essential for a believer who wants to experience revival. Examine the verse. If, that's conditional. You know the conditions, don't you? You know conditional statements. How many young people taking geometry this year, anybody? Geometry is full of conditions, isn't it? If this is true, then this is true. If that is true, then this is true. One of my favorite, favorite bumper stickers of all times says, if at first you don't succeed, then skydiving is definitely not for you. That's conditional, isn't it? You know that phrase. My, my dad taught me conditions years ago when my dad would say, if you don't straighten up right now, son, he'd say, I'm going to cloud up and rain all over you. And uh, it didn't take me long to realize what that meant. That changed my life. If, if. So it's conditional on you. Would you be willing tonight to look over your life as we start this conference? Every deacon... Every elder, every Sunday school teacher. Would you be willing to stop tonight? Every staff member, every college student, every teenager, every boy and girl, every saved person, look over your life tonight. Would you be willing? Would you just take a moment, open your heart to the Spirit of God and say, now Lord, as we start this conference, what is it in my life that's wrong? If, we got to start with an awareness, if we confess that word, of course, means to agree with, to, to acknowledge, to be aware of, and to make an effort to make it right. If I do my part, I love this, he is faithful. I love that word. I looked it up, did a word study on it. He's faithful means he's easily persuaded. Now, I love that. He's easily persuaded. 
He's faithful means he's trustworthy. Uh, he's easily persuaded. You don't, you don't have to overly beg God. He, he's easily persuaded. Aren't you thankful for that? No matter what's in your life, no matter what needs to be changed, corrected, and confessed. When you go to God, He's easy. He, he's so easily persuaded. It's not like He's up in heaven going, I don't know if I will or not. No, He will. I, I want to just say to you tonight, that shouting ground. Doesn't matter what's in my life. Maybe a little thing, maybe an astronomical thing. But if I go to God, I can be right with God tonight. In a moment. He's faithful. He's uh, He's trustworthy. He's easily persuaded. Uh, I think it was Evangelist Bill Rice III who said, uh, he'll do it every time. That's what the word faithful means. He'll do it every time. You ever gone to God and said, Lord, I, it's me again. And it's the same thing. It's my tongue again. It's my besetting sin again. It's me again. He's faithful. He'll do it every time. That's shouting ground. He'll do it every time. That's glorious, isn't it? Every time. Thank God for that word faithful. And then it says he's just. He's, he's righteous. Um, this is acceptable to God. He's the one who has the right to forgive us. And then he just adds to it. He had, I mean, the first part's enough, isn't it? If there's wrong in my life, I confess it to God. He's faithful. He's just. And he will, he will forgive my sin. Isn't that enough? But he doesn't stop there. It's just like my God to go above and beyond. Is, isn't that our God? Doesn't he answer prayers that way? Ephesians 3.20, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly what? What's the next word? Above. He doesn't just answer my prayer. When I go to him, he is a God who is willing and able and will do above. Have you ever seen God do above what you asked for? He's that kind of God. This is an above verse. I go to God and say, God, I'm sorry. It's my sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And don't you love that last statement? It's almost like God says, uh, all right, you've made that right. I, I'm just going to wash you all over again. Just, just clean you up real good all over again. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's essential for a believer who wants to experience revival to confess Consider two passages. You got your Bible tonight? You got your Bible? Say, I got it. You got it? Go to Psalms, would you? We'll look at two passages in the book of Psalms. Let's start with Psalm 139. I didn't mark it, so I'm turning. You turn with me. Psalm 139, 24 amazing and wonderful verses. Uh, I prayed part of this verse today, uh, part of this chapter. Psalm 139, verse 9, on the plane. Before we took off, I held my daughter's hand and and prayed that if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. Lord, I'm going to take the wings of this airplane and I'm going to trust that you'll take care of us and meet our needs. I love Psalm 139, but I'm interested tonight in verses 23 and 24. You know them, don't you? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, that's an interesting passage. Search me, O God, search me. Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me, try me, try me, God, and know my thoughts. See, God, see if there be any wicked way in me. Now, this, this, these two verses, they, they confuse me for a while. 
So I thought to myself one day, now wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Doesn't, um, doesn't God already know? Is, is that a fair question? Here's what the psalmist prayed. Search me, O God, and know my heart. And I stopped and I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Doesn't my God already know my heart? The answer to that is what? Sure. Search me and know my thoughts. Wait, 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 wait. Doesn't God already know my thoughts? He does. So what in the world is the psalmist praying about here? And here it is. You ready? It's not that God needs to know. It's that God, would you search me so that I can know? The point is that God's going to search me and the point of these verses is that as God searches me, God's going to help me to know my heart. God's going to help me to know my thoughts. Why? Because I need to know if there is a wicked way in me so that I can make it right so that God can lead me in the way everlasting. Isn't that important, church? God's not the one that needs to know. You need to know. How long's it been since you and God just got together and you said, now God, help me out. Show me, show me, show me. Help me out here, God. What area do I need to work on now? I, I don't know if you're like me, but I assume you are. God will work in my life in an area and God will help me and I'll memorize verses and grow in the Lord and the Holy Spirit will work in my heart and, and I'll, I'll, I'll grow in an area and Man, it's just a joy and amazing. God helped me in an area. And then I start feeling pretty good about myself. You know, Lord, I'm doing okay here. You help me and look what you've done in my life in that area. Wow! And then I go back to the Lord and say, Now, Lord, is there anything else? Are you like me? The Lord always says, Well, now let's go to work on this. Now let's become more like Jesus in this area. Sometimes he points out an area where at one time I was doing pretty well. Things have slid. Has that ever happened in your life? See, confession's essential. Search me, O God. You know my heart. Help me to know it. Show me any wicked ways. How about Psalm 19? Psalm 19. Go to Psalm 19. Here's another passage. Psalm 19, I'm turning, so you go with me. Psalm 19. And I love this one. This is a, a psalm our family memorized, I don't know, five or six years ago on summer vacation. We memorized this psalm. And uh, just, I love it. I love this psalm. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork. This is a great psalm. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure. The statutes of the Lord are right. The commandment of the Lord is pure, and so forth. And then you get down to verse 11 and 12 and 13. And here's how he comments on the word of God in our life. Moreover by them, that is the law, the word of God. Moreover by them, verse 11 says, is thy servant warned. And in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his, say the next word out loud. Who can understand his, hmm, think on that word. The end of verse 12 says, cleanse thou me from two words, say them out loud. Keep back thy servant also from, two words, say them. Three things he says in this psalm. Three things he prays about. God, who can understand his errors? Hmm. His secret faults? 
his presumptuous sins. So, Lord, what, what, what are those three words? What are those, that, that, that word and those two phrases, what is this all about? So I did a word study. I, I don't know a lot about the Hebrew, but I did some studying. I, I ran some commentaries. I looked up some words. I, I meditated on it. I, I did some cross-references, and I, I, I divided it like this. Errors, the word errors seems to indicate the sins in my life that... Um, I say it like this, those are the sins that came sneaking into my life. Maybe I could say it like this, I didn't, I didn't mean to. I didn't premeditate it, I didn't mean to have a, it wasn't like I was pursuing evil, but it's wrong nonetheless. It, he calls it an error, but it's still wrong. Uh, things like this. These are often sins to other people. It seems to be connected to sins toward other people. I didn't mean to be rude, but I was. Error. I didn't mean to be unkind to my wife, but I was. I didn't mean to be sarcastic and harsh, but I was. I didn't mean to be impatient, but boy, I was. I didn't mean to gossip, but I sure did. You ever have any sins in your life like that? It's not that, I, it's not that I was pursuing a wicked course. I'm trying to do what's right. I'm trying to study God's word. I'm trying to be a good husband and a good, son, a, a good, good, good dad to my sons and my daughters and trying to serve God. And yet I find many times in my life when I stop and examine myself that there's an error in my life, a sin that it just kind of came sneaking into my life. I, 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 didn't, I didn't mean to, but it's wrong and it's wrong just as much as any other sin. Is there a sin in your life like that tonight? You didn't mean for it to be there. You didn't mean to be grouchy and irritable and unkind and sarcastic and rude to somebody, but you were. And confession would be in order. It would be right to confess it. The second one, secret faults. That's an area that I've overlooked or ignored, or here's another angle to it. It's an area that maybe I'm completely unaware of. The first one seems to be connected to sins toward other people, as best I could tell in that word study. The secret faults uh, seem to have three different emphasis. I've overlooked an area of my life where I, I just, I, I, I know it's wrong, but I've overlooked it. Or I've ignored it. I know it's wrong, but I ignored it. Or I just, I'm just unaware of it. Completely unaware. So I, I listed nine. Just, you know, to maybe hit one of yours. So here's nine, evil speaking. Anybody here besides me struggle with that one? Isn't it amazing how we can use our tongue to tear down a brother or sister and overlook it as sin? Evil speaking. The Bible says in Ephesians that corrupt communication should not proceed out of our mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Sometimes I, if you're not careful, you hear the word, the words corrupt communication and you think, well, I don't say bad words. I don't use by words. No corrupt communication proceeds out of my mouth. But when you look in the context, corrupt communication is in opposition to edification. So that when my tongue tears down instead of edifies, there's sin in my life. 
How about that? When I belittle, when I ridicule, that's evil speaking, and that is a secret fault in the context of Psalm 19. Here's another one, griping. When I gripe, how about complaining? That's closely related, but a different word, complaining. How about rudeness? How about sarcasm? I like humor, don't you? But in my humor, I have to be careful not to be sarcastic and hurt somebody. I want to have fun and I want to laugh. I love to laugh. I, I believe the joy of the Lord is our strength. We ought to enjoy life. Do you all enjoy life? I, I thought earlier this year, Lord, help me to have a happy, happy, happy Christian family. The joy of the Lord. Do you know you can have high standards and still have joy? Do you know you can? You can wear a tie to church and still be happy. Did you know that? You can dress modestly as a lady and still have joy in your life. Did you know that? You can. You can be as strict as the day is long and still have joy. A lack of joy, a lack of joy shows up when we're sarcastic and we tear down. You, 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 you know, you can, you can get so careless with your tongue. Uh, being judgmental or critical, that's number six. Number seven, being unloving or unkind. Uh, let me just give you number nine. I, I've already touched on it, lack of joy. Lack of joy. Have you ever thought of your lack of joy? You're always discouraged. You're so discouraged. You're just down. You're just depressed. You're just bothered. Do you know that sin? God doesn't want you, church, to be irritated and bothered and down and discouraged and depressed. That's a lack of joy. That's a sin we overlook, we ignore it, or maybe we're even unaware of it. How about the presumptuous sins? Let's go further. In verse 13, keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. So I did a word study on that. I, did, I ran some references. I, I did some comparisons. And I, as best I can tell, that is a willful rebellion. Here's the best way to say that one. I know this is wrong, but... You ever had that in your life? I know this is wrong, but... I'm going to do it anyway. Sometimes in our generation, that can, uh, that can apply to those who would, who would have a television. I know this program's wrong. It's not best, but it's not that big a deal. That's a presumptuous sin. Might be somebody's cell phone and their usage of the internet. You know, sometimes I think, Lord, why do we have to keep talking about the Internet and our fundamental, independent, Bible-believing, separated, soul-winning churches? Because it seems like in this hour, it's one of the major presumptuous sins. So easy to see garbage. And I'm amazed at how many times I counsel young men in Bible colleges. I know it's wrong, but... We keep going back over and over and over. It's a presumptuous sin in our life. It might be something as big as adultery or as small as grouchiness. Both are rebellious. Both are areas of just rebellion. I know I shouldn't be a grouchy, hard-to-get-along-with husband. Aren't y'all glad you came to church to hear that? 
I ought not to be an irritated, impatient wife. Mom? No. That is as wrong in my life as adultery would be. And for whatever it's worth, adultery is wrong. It's wicked. Uh, Mother Self travels on my team, and Micah Self the other day was, was doing some research for a sermon he's working on, and he came across a study of 1,500 church members who were polled. I, I suppose that would cover a broad spectrum. I, I don't know what church members they were polling, but out of 1,500 church members that were polled, 47% answered in the affirmative that adultery had been in their life or in their past. 47%. I told my wife last night, I never get used to, I know it's not the best grammar, but, but, but hear me. I never get used to the emails I receive of yet another marriage falling apart because of adultery. Never. Again last night, my wife and I knelt beside of our bed and prayed for a couple we know where it seems like adultery is probably going to destroy their marriage. They go to a church like yours. I would hope that that would not be an issue in a church like this, but if there's somebody in this church and adultery is in your heart or in your life or in your thinking, confession is in order. Make it right. It's not worth it. Ever. Would you agree with me? It might, it, 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 might be, it might be an area of anger. That's a willful rebellious sin, isn't it? And an easy one for us to go, I know it's wrong, but that's how I am. I just, I just that's my sin. I just anger. That's just how I am. I was raised that way. It's wrong. It's wrong. I don't care. I'm going to do it. It is essential. Confession is essential for a believer who wants to have revival. And so confession's in order tonight. Two other things, and I'll close. My time's gone. It's essential for a backslider who wants to start over. Now, would there be somebody in the building tonight that would fit the category as a backslider? One time you served the Lord, loved the Lord, had the joy of the Lord, your heart was in serving the Lord, and you sit in a Baptist church tonight as a backslidden believer, your heart's cold, complacent, you're just playing the game, you're just going through the motions. It's easy to do, isn't it? Y'all have, have great music, don't you? For crying out loud, orchestra and choir and organist and two pianos. What in the world? A screen. Fake flowers. <laughs> what a church. This is a great place, isn't it? But you can be in a great place like this and have a backslidden heart where you no longer love the Lord and love His Word and it just goes in one ear and out the other and your heart's not in it any longer. It's an easy thing to do in our generation. Our heart's not in it. We're just, you can stand in a choir and sing and be backslidden because you don't mean those words. Your heart's not in it. There's no joy in your life. You're, there's no passion in your heart. You're backslidden. You can knock on doors, go through the motions of giving the gospel with a backslidden heart. Cold, complacent, casual. Not pray much anymore. 
not read the Bible much anymore, just going through the motions. It's easy to do, isn't it? Confession's essential if I'm going to be a backslider who starts over. It's true in Jacob's life, wasn't it? Jacob was such a backslidden man. What a lousy dad. What a lousy son. What a lousy husband. What a lousy son-in-law. Just everything in that man's life turned out bad, it seemed like. But there was a night he confessed and made things right, and God changed his name. No longer Jacob, but Israel, a prince who's prevailed with God. I don't care who you are tonight, if your heart's cold and complacent and there's backslidden condition in your life, confession's in order. Worked for David, didn't it? Anybody here worse than David? How low can you go? Well, David's proof, you can go pretty, pretty low, can't you? But Psalm 51 is a record in the Old Testament of a man who confesses and a backslider who finds the mercy and grace and forgiveness from Almighty God. Isn't that glorious? Maybe you're backslidden. Maybe you went home as a college student and, and Christmas time at home was really devastating to your spiritual life. Maybe you went home and blew it. You came back to the campus, in a sense, like a dog and with his tail tucked between his legs and you're all sheepish about your sin and maybe nobody knows but you and God know. And confession's essential if you're a backslider who wants to start over. I'm glad God will let you start over. Aren't you glad he's a God of new beginnings? Bethley's father, my, my pastor of 18 years, Bethley's my wife. Her dad, my pastor of 18 years, said many, many times at the beginning of every new year, every January the 1st, he said, Church, God is a God of new beginnings. You may have blown it last year. You may have failed last year. There is a God who can give you a brand new start. He's a God of new beginnings. And I took that and ran with it. And I thought, isn't that something? It's true. Every 365 days, he'll give you a brand new start. Every 30, 29, 28, 29, 30, 31 days gives you a brand new month. That's a new beginning, isn't it? Every seven, he does better than that. Because every seven days, we come to a brand new week. That's a brand new beginning. He does better than that. Every 24 hours is a brand new day. And Jeremiah said that, didn't he? Great is thy faithfulness. Thy mercies are new every morning. A brand new beginning. And I got to thinking in light of this passage, he's even better than that. Because anytime I go to God, any time of the day, any time of the night, any time of the morning, any time of the afternoon, and I get clean with God, and I come clean with God, and I confess my backslidden condition, Almighty God is faithful and just to let me start over. And I thank God that he's that kind of God. So confession's in order. The messes we make, <laughs> the messes we make need God's miraculous intervention. The carelessness we embrace need God's miraculous intervention. The seeds we sow, they need God's miraculous intervention. The changes we need require God's miraculous intervention. Confession is essential for a believer who wants to experience revival. Confession is essential for a backslider who wants to start over. It's Sunday night, but I can't close without mentioning this one. Confession is essential for an unbeliever who wants to be saved. Is that what he says in Romans 10? 
doesn't he? Listen to these verses. Listen to what he says in Romans 10, very simply. Romans 10, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Would there be somebody in our building tonight, Sunday night service in Menominee Falls, and you don't know Jesus as your Savior? Would there be somebody like that tonight? And confession is essential if you want to be saved. You've got to be willing to confess to Jesus that you're a sinner. You've got to be willing to admit, confess that you're the sinner. Confess that you can't save yourself. Confess that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Confess it. Admit it. Admit that you need a Savior. Admit that you can't do it yourself. Admit that you've trusted the wrong things. Admit that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And call on Him. Trust in Him. Believe on Him. Look to Him. He's the only way a sinner can be saved. Isn't that right, church? The only way. So confession is even essential for an unbeliever who wants to be saved. You know the name John Van Gelderen, don't you? A number of years ago... We were members of the church in Ohio where my father-in-law pastored, and he scheduled evangelist John Van Gildren. I, uh, I preach all the time in revivals, and, and uh, when I go home, I like to go home and have a down week. And I had this down week in my schedule and called home to check on something and found out that, well, John Van Gildren's preaching a revival in our home church the week we're home. And I confess, I confess a little bit that part of me was like, are you kidding me? I go to revival every night of my life. I'm in revival services all the time. And I go home for one week down and not have to go to church every night. And John Van Gildren, long-winded John Van Gildren, <laughs> is preaching a revival in our church. And wouldn't be right for me to stay home if I'm home. And Brother John's preaching. And okay, so we went. It was wonderful. It's a wonderful meeting. <laughs> On Sunday night of that meeting, John preached from these verses about having a clean heart. I'll never forget the message. I think all of us knelt. He was thorough. If you did not know an area of your life where you was wrong, he helped you to know one. He did a pretty good job. It was brutal. A week later, my daughter wrote me a letter on a Sunday afternoon that I'll never forget. She wrote me a letter and left it for me on the counter in the RV. We were now at another revival meeting and I got up from a nap and I went to the RV kitchen and there was a little note and I opened it. My daughter said, Daddy, last Sunday night when Brother John Van Gelden preached on having a clean heart. God's spirit convicted me about two areas. She wrote them. She mentioned what they were. In a sense, they were pretty insignificant. Really, I mean, if I told you what they were, at least one of them, you'd kind of chuckle at. It's like, oh, <laughs> that little area, you know, it's a little thing. It's not a big deal. But God spoke to her about two little areas. She said in her note, Daddy, I made it right with God. But I think I need to make it right with you too. 
And it was, it was an area where she was, she had not been completely honest in one area as what she wanted to make right. And it was almost humorous, the area. It really was almost humorous to me. I want to make it right, Daddy, with you. In fact, she said in her note, I want to, I want to make it right. And I want to talk to you real soon so I can get my punishment over with. <laughs> she put that in her note. But what I will always remember is my daughter signed her note with her name. You know, when you sign a note, you say, your friend, or I love you, or one of my pastor friends says, under his feathers. Um, you know, <laughs> first time I saw that, I thought, that's kind of cool and a little weird at the same time. You know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, under his feathers. And uh, it was spiritual, so I probably shouldn't say that's weird. That's Bible. And, but she signed hers like this, and she put, I want a clean heart. I want a clean heart. Every time I go to 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, those are the words that I think of. As we begin a spiritual awakening conference, is that what we're calling it? As we begin a spiritual awakening conference, why don't all of us tonight, why don't all of us tonight determine, God, as I start this conference, help me to have a clean heart. If it's an astronomical area, I'm coming to you. If it's so small that it's almost insignificant, I'm coming to you. Because here's what your Bible says. If, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I know what mine are. What are yours? Let's stand together, shall we? Father, thank you for speaking to me through your word tonight. Lord, over the last hours as I've examined my heart, I want to be right with you. I want to be cautious about my tongue. I want to be cautious about my thoughts. I want to be as clean as I can be, Lord. I know my brothers and sisters here do as well. Father, I want to pray for the young people, boys and girls in high school, junior highers. Help them to examine their life tonight. It might be a tiny little area or a potentially big one. But I pray they'll confess tonight if you move in their heart to do so. Pray for our college students, Lord. These young men and young ladies here at Baptist College of Ministry. Lord, examine their heart tonight. Search them, O Lord. Try them, O Lord. Show us any wicked way that be in us so you can lead us in the way everlasting. Help it to be true of every dad, every mom, every millennial, every single person, every grandfather, grandmother, every staff person. May these verses, the truths of these verses, may the truth of this verse work deeply in our hearts tonight, I pray. Our heads are bowed for just a moment. Pianist, can, when you play, would you do that past me not? Would that be okay again? Our heads are about eyes are closed tonight. How many of you would say, David, as we start this conference, I, I can definitely see an area of my life where, where there needs to be some confession. Would that be true in your life? Then I think it would be in order to kneel, wouldn't it? You don't have to walk down an aisle, but you certainly ought to kneel at your seat if you don't. If you can't kneel, you could be seated. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord tonight.
I want to ask you this. Is there anybody at all in the service? And you'd say, David, I don't know for sure that I'm going to heaven. I don't know for sure that I know Jesus Christ is my Savior. Would you remember me in prayer? If you'll slip up your hand, I'd be delighted to pray for you. I don't know for sure that Jesus is my Savior. Will you pray for me? Anybody that way at all? I see no hands, so I assume we're a church crowd tonight. So ask the Holy Spirit right now, put your finger on the areas of my life. Show me, try me, search me, know me, and help me to respond.